Hebrews Bible Study Number 14, Typology and Melchizedek, Part 2. For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served on the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, introduction. After having spent three sessions preparing to learn about the connection between our Lord Jesus and Melchizedek, it is now finally time to start unpacking what the author of Hebrews has to say about this mysterious figure. Having spent the last ten verses explaining why Melchizedek himself is an important figure as a type of Christ, and how his priesthood is superior to the Aaronic priesthood, now the author turns his attention to the why of the matter. Here he explains the purpose behind the ordination of Christ to the Melchizedek priesthood, which today we will discuss as related to justification by faith. Thankfully, the track of argumentation the author gives here is much simpler than previous sections, not requiring the same level of highlighting, underlining, etc., 
Thankfully, we did all the prep work in earlier sessions. But let us zero in on Hebrews 7, verses 11 through 14. Now, if the perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. With now, the author changes the direction of the lesson. He just established the who and the what concerning Melchizedek and his typological relationship with Jesus. Now it is time to explain the why. Why is it necessary for God to do what he says in Psalm 110, re-establishing the order of Melchizedek under the leadership of Christ? We must not forget that during this time, the congregation to whom the author writes is being tempted to leave Christianity for what appeared to be a more well-established Hebrew religion. In Jerusalem, the Levitical priesthood was carrying on as they had since just after the Exodus, and there was an entire nation and race devoted to following the prescriptions of the Mosaic Law. Christianity, by contrast, appeared as a tiny sect and movement, consisting of persecuted Gentiles and Jews who had believed the claims of the apostles. Why replace what is so fundamental to Hebrew life, the sacrificial system, as it was in the first century? So the author argues first and foremost that the Levitical priesthood is insufficient. Indeed, if it had been able to accomplish God's complete aims, then God would not have spoken of a Melchizedek priesthood. But for there to be a new priesthood means there must be a new law and a new governing body. Thus he identifies our Lord Jesus as the one to whom the new priesthood belongs. It must be a special ordination, though, as otherwise he would have no right to have performed any sacrifice at all. Previous Davidic kings attempted, on occasion, to fulfill duties reserved for the Levitical priests, to disastrous effect. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 16-21, through 21, Uzziah attempted to burn incense at the altar in the Jerusalem temple, and God struck him down with leprosy. If Jesus had been merely some claimant to the Davidic throne— without having been set into a real priesthood, then the atonement would have been an illegitimate act. But with the Melchizedek priesthood established separate from the Aaronic order, there is no need under the law for Christ to have been descended from Levi. With this, he rightly inhabits both the offices of king and high priest. Hebrews 7 verses 15 through 21 reads, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, 
but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. The legitimacy of Christ's atonement is established with the Melchizedek priesthood. And there is a sense in which the insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood is argued for. But here the author gets into more detail as to the reasons for both facts. The Levites had their heritage by blood. One's position was handed down to him by his father, who had it previously. And in turn, he would pass his position along to his sons. This is to say that the Aaronic order was an order which dealt with the reality of death. It was never sufficient because the priests died, just as their sacrifices did, making more priests and more sacrifices necessary over the course of time. Jesus, the new high priest, has an indestructible life, having risen from the dead. He does not need to pass his work on to anyone else, and as the sacrifice himself. He has for all eternity established the efficacy of the forgiveness won on the cross. Verses 18 through 21 introduce a basic law and gospel distinction to help explain this further. The Aaronic priesthood is established as a matter of law. It is commanded that these men be ordained by their bloodline, and they continue on with a weak, useless system. The law is established by requirement, not efficacy. It makes demands, but demands do not in and of themselves give results, hence the law's weakness. It tells us to be righteous, but cannot make us righteous. The Levitical system, established by the law, is as powerless as the law to give us hope or to save us. Note here that the author is not telling us the law is worthless, as indeed one does learn from it as a tutor which teaches us how righteous people act, Galatians 3.24. But if the goal is salvation, to make someone righteous or give them life in and of themselves, then the law cannot help a sinful man fulfill a single commandment let alone give him eternal life. Meanwhile, the Melchizedek priesthood is established by an oath from God, or a promise that he makes. God says he will do this, and then he does it regardless of human action or inaction. While the law cannot save us, only demanding that we save ourselves, the promises of God, or the gospel for short, have the guarantee that God will accomplish what he says, making a priesthood based on such a much more hopeful, powerful thing than the law could ever establish. 
And if God is the one making promises, then the matter of salvation is accomplished by his power alone as a function of grace, unmerited favor, making our benefit one merely by receiving those promises, which we do by faith. And now moving along to Hebrews 7 verses 22 through 28, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The 22nd verse is incredibly easy to understand. A covenant which saves you is superior to a covenant which does not, and it is called better, thus establishing that, as a matter of fact, there is a new covenant, contra the imaginations of some reformed thinkers, that the new is merely a continuation of the old with some modifications. The Mosaic Covenant was not working. It had to be replaced. The requirements of the law and law-keeping are unattainable. Therefore, these requirements had to be replaced by a single aspect of Christian life, that of faith. The author also argues that he who is dead cannot make intercession, as death ceases their offices. Thus the old priesthood cannot redeem, as they cannot continuously make intercession when death takes away their status. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, lives eternally, meaning that his priesthood continues forever, and thus his intercession for us is efficacious eternally, and in a sense, even if he was not praying for us as he does, Jesus Christ, by virtue of being the perfect sacrifice, is the intercession for us. This is over and against the Roman Catholic arguments for praying to the saints, as these verses say quite plainly that death prevents someone from making intercession. Rome might claim that these individuals are alive in Christ, but it is a life that is qualitatively different from life on earth, separated from one's office. And if they should say this is for the New Testament saints, well, the Old Testament saints who were of the Levite priesthood, who are not able to make intercession, as the author says, their office is done with. Yet their life is in Christ as well. The last few verses hold to the same principle. 
an eternal priest means an eternal priesthood, means eternally valid intercession. To add to this, the author reasserts Christ's perfection, being completely sinless and unspotted, making him both the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest. He does not need to make sacrifices for any sin of his own, since he has none, and he is never ceremonially unclean. That means that he does not have to operate the same way that the old high priests of the Aaronic priesthood had to work. They sacrificed for their own sins. They had to be careful to not be ritually unclean before doing their job, and so on and so forth, with any mistake on their part, meaning a complete lack of absolution for the people. But this also means that there is zero justification for saying that the Eucharist is an unbloody sacrifice, or that Christ is re-offered at the altar during communion. To the contrary, since he is perfect, with an office made perfect forever, the function of the sacrament can only be grace upon us, and never a second prosecution of the atonement. To the contrary, absolution is always offered perfectly and received by faith for those who come to Christ at the altar, since the atonement was accomplished once for all. When we take communion, his part has been finished for the past 2,000 years. Now that's it for our current excursus into Hebrews chapter 7. Next week, we will take everything we've read thus far, taken together regarding Melchizedek, and get into the central message of this deeper doctrine, getting great spiritual benefit from the treasury of God's word. Amen and amen.